This is episode 176 of the Beyond the Food Show, and today we talk to Rachel Melinda about filling our cup. Yep, meeting our needs and the role that it plays with our relationship to food in our body. I needed this, and I bet you you do too. Stay tuned. My name is Stephanie Dodier, clinical nutritionist. I reversed my diagnosis of anxiety, depression, adrenal fatigue, and obesity by going beyond the food. I can tell you one thing, that willpower, discipline, and deprivation aren't the permanent solution to transforming your relationship to food. So how do you leave overeating, emotional eating, food craving, and binging behind you so you have the food freedom to achieve all of your goal and be happy now? As a top 25 alternative health podcast in the world, this is the Beyond the Food Show. Welcome back, ladies. The podcast today filling our cup. Oh my God, did I ever needed that today. It's been quite the ride over the last three weeks. And this podcast here that you're listening to is a bit delayed because I was not filling my cup. I was overwhelmed with the amount of work I had created for myself and put on my plate And right now, that's what I need is to fill my cup. And I'm going to share with you how I'm going to do that over the next couple days. But first, I have an excited announcement for you. Some of you who follow me on social media probably heard about this already, or for sure you heard about it if you are part of our community and you're receiving our coaching newsletter, which by the way, if you don't, why? You can sign up for this. It's totally free. We send great coaching newsletter every three days. So Wednesdays and Sundays. But back to the announcement, we're about to start something that we haven't done in nearly two and a half years. Because over the last two and a half years, I spent my time building a virtual online learning platform taking my program that I was doing one-to-one and bringing them into a group format to make them more affordable, putting them on the virtual online platform. So I spent two and a half years behind my computer, which is all great. And it's servicing a lot of women and it's changing life. But I am missing the energy of being face-to-face with you. I have done some lecturing. I have talked to mainly professional audiences over the last two and a half years. I have done a couple of retreats hosted by other people, but I haven't done my thing. And that's what we're about to start in February of 2019. We're going back on the road to see you with our own event. Yay, can I have some clapping? I was doing that before when I was in practice and I had a clinic. That was one of the main ways into which I was reaching people. And I kind of left that go to do the virtual stuff and I was craving it. And that meeting you and talking to you is a huge transfer of energy. You are giving me so much 
by seeing you and your face when I teach things and the ha-ha moment and the hug at the end of the talk and the handshaking and the, the energy that I get from you is incredible. And I was missing that. So we have organized our first speaking tour over the last three years, and it's going to start in my hold stomping ground in Ontario, Canada. So if you're from Ontario, you want to listen to the next bit of information here because we have a chance to meet each other. We have a series of collaborative events with a company called Goodness Me. They are going to present for you with me teaching free seminars. And I also, aside from that, will be hosting one-day workshop. So intense teaching approach where you come in, you spend six and a half hours with me. I supply lunch, the workbook. All you have to do is come in and then I teach you on a very specific narrowed focus topic. And the first two that we're going to do is intuitive eating. So the intuitive eating workshop, very simple term, and then the body acceptance workshop as well. We're going to do them for the first time in Ontario in the month of February 2019, but I'm looking for partners to take that on the road. So if you're not from Ontario and you're still listening to me, thank you. I want to collaborate with you with someone that you may know locally, or if you know of a, a conference, or if you know of a maybe a wellness clinic or somewhere where I can go and see you share my passion about going beyond the food and teach and host workshop, we got to connect. So communicate with us at info at stephaniedoze.com and then we'll collaborate and we'll set up something. My goal is, and and I'm going to put it out there, we'll see if it was going to happen or not, but my dream would be to go on the road trip this summer. Literally, go on a road trip and have workshops and talks all over Western Canada, all over the United States and meet thousands of you. So if you are someone who can help me get that happening and manifest my dream, I'd love to hear from you. And that will give us the opportunity to meet each other. So we are now hosting all our live events on our website. So if you are currently from Ontario, you want to come to some of the workshop or the seminars, you can go to stephaniedoze.com slash event. When you land on the website, it's right at the top. You can't miss it. And then from there, you can look at the details and also get registered and reserve your seat. So I'm looking forward to seeing all of you and collaborate with potentially some of you and create this massive movement and road trip this summer. But back to the topic at hand about filling my cup, because I've been putting this secret project together, going back on the road and speaking, I have not taken care of myself as much as I should. I need to fill my cup back. Now today, Rachel is going to inspire you with some tips around that and more than self-care and bubble bath. Like this is way beyond that, what we're going to talk today. But here's, I'm going to share with you how I'm going to fill my cup this weekend. I'm literally taking a digital detox. So until next Monday, so today is Friday afternoon from now, right till Monday, I'm not going to be on social media. I'm not going to be on my computer. I'm going to read a book. 
I'm going to meet with some friend. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to get a massage. I'm going to just chillax and fill up my mind with a book that I haven't read in years. It's called The Power of Now from Eckhart Tolle. It's one of the Bible in the world of self-awareness and mindfulness. Highly recommend that you read it if you haven't. And I'm going to reground myself and take care of my whole being. So that's what I'm going to do. But today's Rachel on the podcast, Rachel, by the way, is, is a colleague of mine. She's a certified holistic nutritionist, and she's also an emotional eating coach. And she works with women just like me who want to heal their relationship to food and their body and breaking free from dieting. And she does that through this concept of filling your cup and taking care of your needs that could show up in urges to eat and or urges to shame yourself. So we're going to get through that today. And I want you to stay right to the end because I'm going to share with you at the end a quick exercise to help you begin your journey in self-awareness and self-care, something that you do every day, multiple times a day. You've no choice to do it, but you could do it from a completely different perspective. So stay tuned until the end of the interview. Ready, ladies? Let's hear from Rachel. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you for having me. This is, as we were saying before, it's been a long time. Like, I feel that I know you, yet it's the first time we talk. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we were like just chatting for like 20 minutes before this. We're like, maybe we should actually start recording. That's exactly <laughs> it. So much to catch up. I'm excited to have you on the show, and I'm excited for you to introduce my community to your strategy about emotional eating, which is really about filling your cup, right? Hence the podcast name. So everybody, shameless plug. (laughs) The podcast name is Fill Your Cup, but it's a whole philosophy of how you engage with your community, how you engage with your clients and people you work with. So let's start with the beginning. What does that mean, filling your cup? So filling your cup can mean a number of things, but the reason why I came on that name for a podcast, it just has a philosophy for life and working with clients is because it really comes down to meeting your needs. It comes down to prioritizing self-care, but not just like the bubble baths, the candlelit bubble bath self-care. It's saying no to things that you don't want to do. It's making time for things that you really want to do that fill your happiness cup, right? What I was discovering with working with clients in a one-on-one setting, primarily with emotional eating, is that, I mean, what a lot of people don't know is that emotional eating is often born out of people not meeting their needs, right? People not putting themselves first, people not filling their cup. So again, when I came on this whole concept for the Fill Your Cup podcast, I was like, oh yeah, like people just need to start doing this, right? And I could talk about all the various ways that people can go about doing that, whether it is setting boundaries in your life, surrounding yourself with really positive people and having healthy relationships, having... I guess like some basic knowledge about what food can make you feel really good. And that can be everything from a kale salad to chocolate, right? And removing the morality and the bad labels that we smack on it. So it can be really a lot of things. Like even when I ask people, like, what does filling your cup mean? I had so many different answers, which was so cool. And I think you are absolutely right. And that's how we met is that our philosophy are very similar beyond the food filling your cup. It's understanding why we engage with food in the way we do. Exactly. Right. Getting our needs met is 
essentially what going beyond the food is. It's just a different way of looking at it, but you are expressing it definitely. And that's what I'd like to dive into with you mm-hmm. today. But before we get into the details of it, I am assuming you got to that place of understanding emotional eating because of a personal experience. Mm-hmm. Can you talk through your journey on how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So I mean, I'd always been a health nut, like even from a young age, I was one eating carrots and hummus and that was just what I did. And then that evolved into an eating disorder, although I didn't realize I was having that. I had anorexia, but thankfully the physical effects of it were very short lived. My mom caught me in time and I had actually lost my period as a result of that. And because I thought I was just being healthy and was so fixated on being healthy, I was like, oh, I need to get my period back. So my mom kind of tricked me and was like, we're going to go to the doctors to get your period checked out. I'm like, awesome. I want to be so healthy. This is great. And then we get there and the doctor is like, so we're here to talk about your eating disorder. And I remember looking around the room being like, I don't have that, you know, like in total denial and not really realizing what was happening. So I say like the physical effects were short lived because I mean, the weight loss was fast and furious. But the mental effects stuck around for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that followed by what I call a 10-year career in disordered eating. It was just like constantly starting fresh on Monday and constantly dieting, living off of aspartame-filled everything. So that took me through until grade 8. How old are you in grade 8? 13? Yeah. 13 to maybe age 23 till my last year of university. It was just constantly just like yo-yo dieting and kind of being at war with my body and food to the point where I was just like, this is just the life that women have to live. We just have to hate our bodies. We have to deprive ourselves. And that's just the cards that we've been dealt. And then the turning point was kind of coming out of university where, again, I was like always depriving myself so often binging because restriction with restriction comes binging in many cases. After that, I moved home from school and moved in with my mom and she started making more of our food. So for the first time I was eating wholesome foods and it was also in summer. So we were eating a lot of like seasonal vegetables, like tomatoes and everyone knows how delicious a tomato is in the middle of summer. So I'm eating all this delicious food. And for the first time I was like, wow, like I actually feel full and I actually feel really happy and, and like content. And so that kind of followed. And then I also started CrossFit at the same time, which I also think was part of my healing journey because I had always been in gyms, but that hamster on a treadmill, right? I never really enjoyed going. I went because I felt like I had to. And then CrossFit was completely different because if you've ever walked into a CrossFit gym, you'll find there are no mirrors. So you can't do a little body check as you're walking by. And it's really focusing on what your body can do today that it couldn't do yesterday and and celebrating those wins, but also being okay with the fact that hey, you might have lifted this much yesterday and today you might be lifting more or less and that's okay too because your body's going to be different on every given day just based upon how it feels and what you're going through. And because I was exerting so much energy through CrossFit, I was like, oh, I need to really fuel myself, right? I need to fill my nutrition cup, my belly cup. (laughs) And so I started like just trusting that my body needed food. And I don't know if CrossFit made me kind of in a side way, like set me on the path to become an intuitive eater or just trusting my body. Because in a way I was eating not anything and everything, but because I was exerting so much energy through CrossFit and my body wasn't changing in a quote unquote negative way, I was like, oh, I can eat anything. Right. And so I think that helped me build that trust with my body. And then just recently, so that went on for five years where I was in a better place with my body but just recently I had left CrossFit. Yes. And so that was a huge 
that was, oh, it was just so crazy because I was like, oh, I thought I was at the point where I did trust my body. But when I left it, I realized that CrossFit did give me that bit of a crutch hmm. where, yeah, I could eat anything and drink anything and my, my weight would stay relatively the same. And then to stray from that was like, whoa, what am I going to do now? But that was also such a cool learning journey for me. I put myself in the shoes of my client because I always say to them, like, I promote intuitive movement and do movement that just feels good. Don't do it to burn calories or anything, which I wasn't. I did it because I was enjoying it. But I think in the back of my head, it was a bit of a control thing. So that's kind of like a whole overview of how I got to where I am now. And I am still like a little bit of a health nut, but I'm also very open to eating all foods now, right? There is no smacking good or bad labels on foods. The morality is gone. And I'm at a place where I can actually say, I really do like my body. And even at 185 pounds, I'm not afraid to say that anymore. Mm -hmm. That's so empowering because people look at healing sometimes as just a moment where everything's going to get fixed instead of a journey towards removing layers. Yeah. Right? So you're just peeling the layer of exercise right now. Right. And I'm probably going to continue to peel more layers off as life progresses, right? Absolutely. I think that's the confusion in the whole diet industry. And even with the body positivity movement, there's this idea that you're going to wake up and everything's going to be better, right? And yes. if you do X, Y, Z, all your problems will be solved, but you're never ever really there and not in a depressing way, but like it's, it's the journey of building upon these things is kind of what we're striving for as opposed to that one destination. And I think that's the spiritual part of the human being, right? Is understanding the, and this is going to get really high level, but why we're on this planet, right? We're here to live the human experience, which includes peeling the layer of what we were born with, right? Your challenge was anorexia. And through that, you've learned a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. And it's yeah. directing you to where you are today. And I was actually saying that to someone the other day, it was like, I am actually thankful that I went through that because if I hadn't, I don't think I would be doing the work that I do today. I don't think I would be, I don't want to say enlightened, but I do feel like I've done a lot of self-exploration and discovery way earlier than a lot of people do because of my experience. And I'm actually really grateful for that. You are hundred percent right. And that's the beauty of being able to see challenges in our life as a teacher instead as a problem. Mm-hmm. And yes, diet culture is teaching us that weight is a problem that we need to fix. Here's the quick fix solution and then life will be good. And we know it doesn't work. That's why we keep getting back into it. And what you're explaining now is it's through your journey. I can see the layers coming off and appreciation and a deepening of who you are and how you know you because you're young. How old are you? I'm almost 28. <laughs> I was going to say 27 and three quarters. <laughs> Wait till you hit your 30. <laughs> oh, is, is it going to get worse? I thought it's going to get no, better. You're going to quit the three quarter. Oh, right. You're going to stick with the one number. Out of heart. <laughs> I thought you might like everything goes downhill once I turn 30. No, I don't. Part for me, for me, and this is my philosophy, everything gets better. That's what I think. Yeah. Because... For me, your awakening that you're talking about happened at, I don't know, 26, 25 years old. My awakening happened at 38. 
So for me, it's just when is the awakening happening to see that life is actually working for you and life is beautiful and you can get better and blah, blah, blah. It depends when it happens in your life. So you have that level of awareness that's going to guide you differently to live the rest of your life. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And you're a nutritionist also. You forgot to mention that. But through all of this, you went to nutrition school. I did. So right after university, we were just saying before, I initially went to Concordia University in Montreal, not too far away from you, for theater. (laughs) I did a lot of musical theater growing up, and I was like so ready to be like the next best thing. Actually, in my first day of acting class, I walked in and our prof said, if you came in here to be the next best thing, walk out. I was Uh. like... (laughs) Anyway, I'm like, that's me. I mean, I did a year in it, but I think I was just like, you know what? There's so much work that has to go into it to be successful, like there is for anything. But I think once I started dissecting all of it and really studying it, I was like, oh, this isn't fun anymore, right? So I switched um, into a communications wing and worked in advertising for a bit. So I used to do social media for brands like Popeye's Chicken Canada, which is hilarious because like, again, like being a a health nut, I was like, oh, this hurts my holistic heart. (laughs) But I, again, I'm grateful for these experiences because I mean, I lasted about a year in advertising until I was like, I can't do this lifestyle. And then I had a short stint where I did an internship with Megan Telpner and that kind of started to set the scene of like, okay, do I want to go in the direction of health? And I did. I went to the Institute of Holistic Nutrition and became a holistic nutritionist. And then I came out of there and I mean, the great thing is that I did have all these marketing skills after that, right? Whereas I saw a lot of my colleagues, like, maybe not start right away because they're like, I don't know how to start this, right? But there's like, we're not really taught the business smarts in nutrition school. Yeah. So just like, so there's a stat that I, and I want to share this with the group listening. There's a stat that came out of Australia that 70% of people going through nutrition school, that it is dietitian, holistic nutrition, whatever, in Australia, all had a broken relationship to food. Totally believe it. So for people listening that are not, so I have a good proportion of people that are listening that are professional, but for all the other people, know that most of us have a journey into this. Yeah. yeah. And we get attracted to this because we think we're going to fix ourselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but that was my case. I got into this because I was thinking like, I'm so broken and I'm so complicated that I have to go to school to figure it out. Right. Was that the case for you? I think I was in a different headspace when I went to nutrition school, but it, it didn't bring me as far back into my disordered eating, but it definitely made me crazy. Like I was just talking to my boyfriend, Randy, about this the other day. Like, isn't it great how I can be so chill around food now? Like we're eating barbecue chips on the couch. And I was like, I would have never let this fly before. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you were really crazy during nutrition school. And I think that was just it. Like I went outside. I was like, everything's a toxin. Everything's going to yes. kill me. And and so it's funny that you said that. I think it's so true because most of the people that I work with are nutritionists. There you go. And I was shocked at first. I'm like, why? Why am I working with all these nutritionists? But it's it's so true. Like it essentially instills and encourages more of a fear around food. Absolutely. Because it, it puts the lands, the deep lands of good or bad. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and most of what's out there, we are thought to label it as bad. And the thing is, and the coach and the expert listening that are still coaching, trying to change people's food actively is what you're seeing in people's rebounding is what the reality is for people because it's it's not about good or bad. But we're taught that in school, unfortunately, and we go out and say that to people and then we sell detoxes and 
whatever the thing is. And we actually mm. make the eating behavior worse with people. Exactly. I don't know when this episode is airing, but I'm actually finding it very hard. It, we're in January right now, but I'm actually finding it very hard to be on social media and I follow a lot of nutritionists because a lot of them are my colleagues. And then it's just like detox, cleanse, like yes. everywhere. And I'm like, oh my God, it's, it's too much. It's way too much because it's... Yes. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I can get into it. I'll get too fired up. Yeah. <laughs> but for people listening, what you're seeing is because those experts are in the same cycle where you are, where they're labeling everything good or bad, right? So... Let's talk about filling our cup and we'll get to food at some point in the discussion and the whole good or bad thing and how you're approaching it. But let's talk about filling our cup beyond food. Like where do people need to look to fill their cup and meet their needs? I think it really comes down to not your moral compass, but like your, let's call it your happiness compass. Actually, this was a good example. Someone asked me, I'm actually a very indecisive person. And so when like going between plans, oh, I'm also a people pleaser. That doesn't help. So someone, I had like two plans or whatever. And I was like, oh, I feel like I should do this, but I really want to do this. And someone asked me, what would make you the most happy? I'm like, oh, this one. And she's like, go do that. So I think use that as your sort of compass. What brings me the most happiness? What brings me the most joy when it comes to movement, when it comes to food, when it comes to people that you're surrounding yourself with, when it comes to your job? so many different things and, and facets of our life we can explore to go about filling our cup and go about bringing more happiness and joy and ease in our life, right? If you are saying, oh, I should do this, maybe check yourself and say, why should you, right? Mm. Is it because that people please are coming out? Like who, who are you doing it for at this point? If you're not doing it for you, then you're doing it for someone else. And quite honestly, that's going to build some sort of resentment and you're not going to show up as the best version of yourself if you're not doing things that are true to you, right? Because we know when we are, when things feel really right and we show up for them, well, we are us, right? We are the best version of ourselves. So let's talk about that compass of happiness. I think that's an amazing example, right? It, that can guide you through your whole life. But when that compass is shadowed by, say, body image issue, right? So one will say, I'll do this plan or this diet because it's going to fill my cup of being tin. So are we really following our compass or how do we maneuver through that when there are shadows on our compass? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, go work with one of us and do all <laughs> the work because <laughs> there's so much, right? Like there's a whole thing that a lot of people don't even recognize that their body image issues could be hindering them from that. Mm -hmm. So I think it comes down to exploring that first. And I think a big thing too, when it comes to body image, like we might have these goals for weight or for looking a certain way. And what I often get my clients to ask themselves is like, okay, what are you actually chasing? Because a lot of my clients will say to me, oh, I just want to be 140 pounds. I was 140 pounds two years ago. And I just want to get back to that. And, and I'll ask them, were you happy there? And usually the answer is no. So it's like, okay, so if you weren't happy there, then what exactly are you chasing? Because it's not the number. It's usually something else. It's usually another need or something in your life that isn't being met, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's very good. So when you're chasing a past moment in, in your life, really asking the question, were you happy there? And why are you chasing it again? Yeah. So let's talk boundaries. You mentioned that a few times in filling our cup. What does boundary have to do with filling our cup and what can we do about them? 
I think boundaries is a mechanism because in this day and age, a lot of us are people pleasers, right? We want to be doing all the things. We're super busy. And in many cases, we're doing things for other people versus ourselves. And not, not a lot of people do things for themselves anymore because it's deemed as a selfish thing. But we have to remember that it's not selfish because if we aren't filling our own cup, if we're not putting ourselves first, again, we're not going to be able to show up for others. So boundaries might be being unapologetic about certain things, whether that's unfollowing brands or people on social media that don't make you feel good, right? Setting boundaries on that, setting boundaries on, and I guess in, in real life off of social media, like who are you surrounding yourself with, right? Are you keeping people around because they've been in your life for so long and, oh, you're going to bump into them at this party often or on this, this like extracurricular activity that you're doing, things like that. But it really comes down to recognizing like, is that actually making you feel good having those people around or is it kind of draining your energy? So putting boundaries on that saying you don't have to have, have a whole like breakup with that person, but it might just mean distancing yourself. Boundaries can also be saying no to things that you don't want to do. And that's something that I've had to learn too. I used to be doing things like on weekdays in the evenings after work all the time. And I would like resent it so much because I'm like, I just want to go home and I just want to like make some nice food and chill on the couch, chill with my cat and my, my boyfriend. But I was a people pleaser. So I was always doing all the things, but it was so hard to say to someone, oh, like I actually am not free on, on Thursday because I want to spend time by myself. Like it's such a weird thing to say, but that's what I've discovered. You have to actually do and the people that you have in your life that are filling your cup, that do foster positive relationships for you, they will understand that if you say that to them. Some people, when we talk about that, or people might now maybe feeling, well, that's selfish, Rachel. Like that's selfish to put yourself first. What would you say to that? I think, well, it's kind of like just what I just said, right? It's, mm -hmm. If you're not putting yourself first, if you aren't being... I don't even want to call it selfish. I think that has a negative connotation. But if you aren't putting yourself first and prioritizing yourself, then you're not going to be able to be the best version of yourself for others and yourself, right? You're going to show up to things and feel exhausted because you didn't take the time out for yourself. You're going to feel stressed. You're going to feel resentment. You're just not going to feel awesome. So it's worth it to take that time to, to be a bit selfish, right? And, and put a positive connotation to that. And using your emotional eating, because you're naming a lot of when you're not filling your cup when it comes to boundaries, a lot of negative emotion will surface. Is that the time you're eating emotionally? Right. Right. So when you go to the party that you didn't want to go and you come back home and you binge, is that why you're binging? Because mm -hmm. you didn't say no in the first place. Mm -hmm. And in that way, emotional eating can teach us a lot, right? I think, again, emotional eating can have that a negative connotation, like, oh, let's kick the emotional eating to the curb. And sure, yeah, maybe that's the goal, but it can also tell us a lot. So if you find that you are turning to food a lot, when maybe hunger isn't present and you're doing it as a coping mechanism, I think it can tell us a lot. Like, okay, I, I did that. So doesn't make me a bad person, but does that mean I am feeling very stressed? I'm feeling, am I burnt out? Did I not carve out that time for me? Right? It can teach us a lot. It's another form of compass. Yep. Right? Because human have always had a relationship of emotion to food. It's part of why we have food in our system on this planet, but it's being reflective enough to have those questions answered so we can learn from them and learn to set up boundaries and say no, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. It's how we fill our cup. Mm -hmm. So, so let's dive into the food piece and how 
you engage with food and how you coach, lead your community to engage with food from a place of filling your cup without being obsessive. Yeah. So we were talking about this before because I know that you've strayed from talking about food and it's not even part of your practice anymore. And I've been kind of feeling a bit of that. I'm like, oh, should I still, right? I mean, I I follow a lot of people in the emotional eating industry and I know it's not awesome to be telling people how to eat if I'm encouraging intuitive eating, but I do think they're I view nutrition now as a tool in your toolkit, right? So that you can fill your nutrition cup. It is still part of my practice, but it's not something that we talk about right away because again, people know a lot about nutrition already, right? There's no shortage of information out there. If anything, there's too much and people are like, oh, where do I turn next? Like keto, paleo, carnivore right now. (laughs) The new one is carnivore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that it? Awesome. (laughs) Add Add it to the list. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just like too much information out there. So it's not a matter of not knowing enough. It's about not doing things that actually feel really good for us. And so what I start by doing in my practice is again, working on that relationship with food first and then leaving nutrition to the very end. But again, keeping flexibility as the name of the game. Whenever I'm giving someone a nutrition recommendation, it's like, Hey, like if you do this, great. If you don't, Awesome. That's totally fine. But these are all tools in your toolkit because you mentioned that your energy is suffering or your mood is suffering. And these are great ways that you can go about filling that cup to feel better, right? I think it is still a good tool, but it can't be the guiding force. Yeah. So even for myself, like I, and I'm trying to show more of this on social media now, but it was scary at first to show my nutritionist friends that, yeah, I eat ice cream, I eat chips that aren't organic. Like I have Lay's in my cupboard. But the cool thing is that I can leave those Lay's chips in my cupboard for a month now and forget about them. And not because I have crazy self-control or willpower, but it came as a result of giving myself permission to eat all foods. Wow. Which is also what I try to, and and you do this work too, right? There's a lot to unpack there, but again, it's removing that novelty from foods and just seeing food as food. And I think that's a big thing in what you just said, like you gave yourself the permission to eat it and you don't want it as much anymore. And I know for people listening right now, this seems like totally foreign concept, right? It's like, how can this be possible? Chips have always won over me. (laughs) Like I've never won the battle of the chips or the Mm -hmm. chocolate or whatever the thing is for you. Can you dive a little bit more on how that process was for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I started just like a lot of you listening might be right now. I would go to bed being like, there's ice cream in my freezer. I'd wake up, there's ice cream in my freezer. Sometimes in the middle of the night, I'd wake up and think about it and I would have to go eat it. And I would just gorge on it. Right. And then I would engage in like what's called like last supper eating as if it's the last time I'm going to eat it because I'm going to start eating clean tomorrow. But what happens is when we say, I can't have the chips or I can't bring them into the house is we build a novelty around it, right? So now all of a sudden it's on this pedestal, it's a forbidden fruit. And it's a thing that we think about all the time that now actually holds power over us because you're Mm -hmm. giving it power. And eventually, like, again, I mentioned like with restriction and deprivation, we end up going to the other side where we end up gorging on it, right? Or binging. And so by removing that novelty and by bringing that food into your house and giving yourself unconditional permission to eat it whenever you want, to an extent, like with regard to hunger fullness levels, you actually can enjoy it, quote unquote, moderately or as much as you want, right? Which you'll discover might not be a lot. I can go in there and get a handful and and be good with that, right? 
or I mean, December just passed. I had candy cane ice cream in my freezer. And I remember eating it being like, this isn't as good as I remember it. I think because I projected such a huge novelty around it being like, oh my God, candy cane ice cream. Like I need all of this. And now I'm like, this tastes super fake, right? So yeah, it is a process. It's something that I don't get my clients to do until like midway working together over say a four to six month period because it does take time to understand what's actually happening. It takes time to build that trust with your body and with food until we can kind of go through that process and bring that food in. Yeah. And I want to add to this, like this process for me was very similar to you. And there was for me a spike when I allowed chips back in my life because chip was my thing. Like I've never been sweet. It's always been salty. There was a moment when I said chips, I can have it as much as I want. I had it a lot. Like I had this resentment built in that I had to release and have the chips when I wanted. And then it kind of peak, it's kind of a bell curve. And then it dropped again, where now chip is there. I can have it. I don't even mm-hmm. want it because A, it doesn't taste good. And B, it makes me feel like crap the next day. Yeah. Bringing it back to how you feel. So how long did that process take to, for you? Do you think the, the, that peak? The chips six to 12 months. Yeah. It took six to 12 months. And again, I think it has to do with when I did it. I did it at probably 39, 40 years old. And I had been dieting since the age of 15. Mm. So I I had lived longer under the restriction of chips than chips was ever available in my life. Yeah, lots of time to make up for. Lots of fun flavors out there you've been missing out on. (laughs) What was like the chip that you're so excited about? Barbecue and pickle and dill pickle. Don't ask me, well, they pickle. (laughs) I get it. I get it. (laughs) So people listening, I think it's a huge learning lesson and it can work if you're working through the process of really letting go of the chips or the chocolate being the bad thing. And you can become a normal eater, like just have the chip in the cupboard and they stay there forever. Yeah. Which was hard for me at first, like being a holistic nutritionist, because And even when I moved into my first place with my boyfriend, Randy, like I was like, I want to have my pristine cupboards. Right. But he would bring in (laughs) some quote unquote junky food. And I'm like, what is this doing in my kitchen? But like now it's there and it's not like it's holding power over me. It's not like we're eating those foods all the time because we're there. We still eat how we normally do. And like, sure, we'll have baked beans once in a while because it's there, you know, and it's not a huge deal. What do you make of the concept in regard to food? of worthiness around food perfection. So it's a concept that I'm really exploring over the last number of months in which I see people finding their worth in the world around how perfectly they eat. Mm. Yeah, I think that's huge. I think it's an identity for people too. That's something that I discovered like with working with clients is that I mean, there's a sense of pride, right? When you show up and you are eating, quote unquote, everything, when you're clean eating and keto or paleo or dairy free or gluten free, like whatever label, when you're doing things as the world expects you to show up as you're like suddenly approved of, right? But if you go against that, it can be scary because someone that does allow themselves to eat chips, well, they must not have any self-control, right? which for someone who struggles with worth issues, that could really mess with them. So there's a question that we all need to ask ourselves when we're starting to play with food again in this process of healing emotional eating is, 
beyond nutrition, what else am I finding in this way of eating? Mm -hmm. And if there is any sense of worth around it, then you have to be consciously aware of that and, and really remove the worth out of the food. And I think for professionals listening, that's huge. Yeah. Because we do take a sense of pride and we do take a sense of professional pride in having the clean cupboard. That's what prompted me to talk about that. Cause mm-hmm. like take a picture of your cupboard. There can't have be any bad food in it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because you're a professional. Yeah. No, that's a big question. So you're navigating through that right now. Any, I don't want to say tips, but any advice for people and when that comes up for you, how do you deal with those emotions? Hmm. Well, I, I want to talk to the identity piece again about that, yeah. because that was something that one of my clients was struggling with, like as she was making the transition from being that health nut, and that's how everyone expected her to show up in the world. And then all of a sudden, she was the health nut that enjoyed chips from time to time, right? Yep. And she was actually getting a lot of like backlash from her family and friends being like, well, like, I thought you were a healthy eater. And she's like, I am, but I can enjoy chips when I want. And so I know that was really hard for her. And so again, I had to encourage her to, and this could be a coping strategy to deal with those emotions is to make boundaries again, Mm. maybe having some sort of affirmation where you aren't letting people's opinions affect you as much by reminding yourself that what they think is no reflection on how you should feel. Right. Again, stay in your lane, focus on you. It doesn't matter what people think because often people's ideas are stemming from diet culture and society doing things as we should. And look at where that's got us right? more confused about health and nutrition and our bodies than ever. What is diet culture for you? I know we've been trying that word around, but what does it mean for you? Diet culture is the projected messaging of like how you should eat, how you should show up, how you should be right right now. Well, we're kind of transitioning like 10 years. It would have been the goal of like being very thin. Whereas now we're seeing the goal of being strong, strong as the new skinny, right? Which can really shun people or put people aside that are in thinner bodies, right? It's not to say that's a bad thing. It's just, those are bodies. And actually at one point, before the whole fill your cup podcast thing, I had this private group called real ass woman, because another little thing I say is eat real ass food, which says like, eat as much food that comes from the earth as possible. But like, don't stress if you have the chips. So I was like, Oh, I'm gonna have real ass woman, it stands for raw, it's so great. But then and then I was like, and I had this whole definition of anyone can be a real ass woman. But I don't like saying anyone is being real. Because if you're alive, and you're here, you are real, you know, you are showing up. But yeah, back to your initial question. So diet culture, yeah, it's that messaging of like what you should be doing. It's living by society's terms. It's being on like diets like all the time and kind of disregarding our hunger signals and our intuition, right? It's teaching us that we don't know our bodies best, right? So therefore you should do this. And ultimately it is, it's a money-making industry. Mm -hmm. I think a good question to ask too, when you are being serve these messages where that might make you feel a little crummy is to ask yourself, like, who is profiting off of this feeling right now? Right? Because that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to remind you that you are not enough. So then you can go pursue this diet or this program or this cleanse. And I think that's important. You just said the word cleanse. So diet culture is also wellness, diet and lifestyle. 
program in some cases, right? So the whole detox cleanses that we're seeing right now in January is also part of that culture. And I know this is going to hurt some people when I hear that, but that's the truth. It is the truth. And I I felt a bit jerky about what I said earlier about like my nutritionist friends, like putting their detoxes and cleanses everywhere, like everywhere. But it is really hard for me now to see that kind of stuff, knowing the impact that it has on people, right? It really is a short-sighted solution that isn't paving the way for healthy habits. It's just making people feel more stuck. So it's just like, I don't know. I don't want to say everyone should be like us, but no, 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 no. But it's also that this podcast is not designated for professional, although there's a lot of professional listening is, is designated to help the average person navigate through all those messages. Yes. Which this wellness culture, what I'm seeing a lot also is, I'll say it's an anti-diet message and and we're not going on a diet, but the result of you taking care of your wellness will end up weight loss, Mm -hmm. right? It's very shady, but you're not pursuing diet. You're not restricting your food, but you're still pursuing the outcome of losing weight. And that is a very slippery slope. Exactly. Yeah. And I try to remind people too, it's not that like we are anti weight loss, we are anti the primary goal of being weight loss, right? When that's the only thing that you fixate on and you put aside all the other determining factors of health, just because you're striving for a weight, that's where my issue is, right? Mm -hmm. When you're saying a number is more important than your happiness levels, your stress levels, your sleep, it's like, wait a second, like maybe we should be looking at those things first, because if we are meeting all those needs, if we are filling our cup in all those areas, the reality is, is that our weight is going to find a happy point and we actually don't have a lot of control over where that might be. That's very important. That's called the set point concept, right? So yeah. my set point is very different. So my set point is probably around 225 pounds. That's mm-hmm. my set point and it doesn't fit society standard, but that's where my body's happy. Exactly. That's where my body can live without restriction or over exercise. Yeah. And mine's probably 185. And I remember the first time I maintained that for like two years, I was like, oh no, something's wrong. I haven't lost weight in a while and everyone else is losing weight. And then I was like, it only occurred to me like maybe a year or two ago that I was like, maybe this is where my body's happy. Yes. And set point is really about where you can respond to your hunger signals and your fullness levels and eat enjoyably and your weight stays the same, right? It's where your body's happy and can do all that it needs to do. Exactly. So again, the whole diet culture, wellness, dieting thing will tell you a healthy weight is a happy BMI. That Mm. doesn't mean that, right? Oh, it's bogus. (laughs) Right? I'm six foot tall. How tall are you? I'm 5'11". Right? So... I didn't realize you were six foot. Yeah. Tall sister. Exactly. And, And that, I think it's a combination part of our, where both of our journey began is I've never been in a quote normal body, like society body size has never been part of my life. And even when I was at my lightest in in the dieting journey, I I remember one point being at 190 pounds, and I was still not in the normal range of BMI. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, because BMI doesn't take into consideration so many different things like muscle mass being one of them. But yeah, and it and totally disregards health. Every time I went to the doctors, they're like, you're overweight, you should lose weight. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now, like, even when I go, I, I, I can deal with it now if they tell me that because I, again, boundaries. Yeah. But a lot of people don't know that you can request a blind weigh-in, right? If, if you are a bit kind of on this journey and still feel very affected by that, request a blind weigh-in. Mm-hmm. 
But all that to say that healthy weight is not what society is telling us healthy weight is, which is a size six and a healthy BMI, I don't even know, 23, 22, whatever it is. Right. Healthy weight is not that, is wherever yeah. your body is healthy at and well, doesn't need restrictions. So it's two different concepts. Yeah. Like when I was my lowest, 124 pounds, quote unquote, healthy to society, I had lost my period. My body was shutting down. My hair was thinning. Like I was not in a state of health. Exactly. So I know it's a much bigger discussion, but I think it's helpful for people to hear others journey and what the reconciliation we had to do with ourselves. Like I had to quit and give up this idea of healthy weight for me to be where I am today and to be at peace with food in my body. Otherwise, if I held on to that through different programs, then I was just fueling this binging and emotional eating. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So we're running out of time because we're already like maxed out at 40 minutes. <laughs> Do you keep all your podcasts to 40 minutes? I like that time. Yes. I, longer than that is too much for yeah. women. If I see one that's like an hour, hour and a half, like, here we go. <laughs> Or I'll split it into two episodes. So I want to keep this one to one. So where and how can people take the next step with you, Rachel? Mm -hmm. So you can find me on Instagram. I'm quite active over there at Rachel M. Melinda. There's a middle initial there. Also at rachelmmelinda.com. Have lots of resources, recipes, that sort of thing there. And then, of course, my podcast, which you've talked about so much for me today, which is great. Thank you for that. The Fill Your Cup podcast. I think you have to search all those words. It's on iTunes, the iOS app, and on Spotify. You can find me over there. I have a DIY kombucha online course. and We didn't really talk about kombucha, mm -hmm. but I used to do kombucha workshops. So now that is an online offering. So you can find more about that on my website. I don't know. Should I get my phone number at this point? I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, through all of that. Media. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can learn more about me over there and the one on one consultations I offer and whatnot. Perfect. And you work online, right? I do. Okay, awesome. So I would encourage people to go and check out the podcast for the podcast listener. That's a great neutral podcast to listen to that will carry on the message we're having here into the world of Rachel. Awesome. Thank you very much, Rachel, for having been with us. Thank you so much for having me. Loved it. Isn't she amazing? I love her and I love her on Instagram as well. So I said at the beginning, I had an exercise for you, right? So let's dive into this exercise. It's an exercise of introceptive awareness. So awareness of those little small sensation in our body, but this introceptive awareness, being aware of those small little signal of our body cues, what we like to say here at the going to be on the food method, your body messages, and actually noticing what you do with those cues. And one of the cues that we have multiple times a day that all of you have is the desire to pee. And I don't, don't giggle. <laughs> The desire to go to the bathroom is what we call a body message, right? We feel the sensation. We get this magical sensation that comes up through our body into our head that says, oh, you need to pee. The question is, when that happened, what do you do? How does it feel in your body? 
And I want you to observe, is it a physical sensation? Is it a cramping? Is it an urge? Is it tension? How does it feel? How does the sensation of needing to go to the bathroom feels in your body? And when you notice it, do you trust it? By that, I mean, do you stop what you're doing and go into the bathroom? Do you act on it or do you suppress it? Do you say, oh, just a little bit later, and then you literally suppress it, you carry on doing whatever you do, and then all of a sudden it comes back and it's like biggest urge, right? Does that happen to you? So I want you to bring a lot of awareness around that. Once you found this awareness, the sensation, how it feels, I want you to respect your body signal and stop what you're doing and go to the bathroom. I want you to start engaging with this bodily sensation from a tone of respect, from a tone of trust, and from a tone of placing your body needs at the top of your list. Just like we heard today about filling our cup, this simple exercise of prioritizing, listening to your body messages, in this case, the need to urinate, and respecting it and trusting it and acting upon it can have significant ripple effect with many other body signals that we talk about hunger, that we talk about fullness. It is the same thing, right? Can you feel your hunger signal? Can you feel your fullness signal? But often what I have found in practice is that it's easier to start with P because there's no judgment attached to peeing. Like we all need to pee, we respect that. Same as we should with hunger, but we don't because we judge hunger because of diets and dieting cultures and shutting down and suppressing our appetite to lose weight. We have a whole bunch of color and judgment around hunger. So if we were to start with pee, it often works miracle. So I'm gonna leave you with that. Pay attention to those sensations. Notice how it feels. Notice if you trust it. Notice if you delay going. And it's sometimes it's so habitual we don't realize. And then once all those levels of awareness are brought back in line, begin respecting it and begin making respecting those body messages a priority. So let me know how this exercise does for you, what you notice, reach out to us via social media or via email. I want to hear from you what kind of impact this simple exercise has. Now, we've got a great series of podcasts in February. So starting in podcast 177, in the next five podcasts, we're going to deep dive into what we call in our program, the four bodies. The four layers of the human body, the mental body, the emotional body, the spiritual body, and the physical body. And we're going to have for each one of those body, a expert, and we're going to explore how this particular layer of the human influence our relationship to food and to our body. And is there something in that particular layer for you to balance, to tune, to become more aware of, to help you regulate your relationship to food and body. So 
looking forward to taking that journey with you. And I will see you on the next podcast. I love you. And I'll chat with you soon. Do you wish your relationship to food and perhaps your body was easier? Do you wish you could make peace with food and your body? Most women will describe the state of being as having food freedom. And likely you've tried potentially everything to get there. And you are certain that something is seriously wrong with you. Maybe you're thinking that more restriction has to be the solution. I get it. And trust me, I've been there too for almost 27 years. You see, what most struggling women never ever realize is that how you engage with food in your body has little to do with food itself. Sadly, most women rely on outdated strategy like restriction and willpower and discipline as their solution. Things like the black and white mindset, the diet pills, the cheat day to control their urges. But you and I know that has nothing to do with food freedom. So that's why I want to share with you the assessment that I use in my clinic with my one-on-one client to identify what is holding them back from food freedom. And quite frankly, it's different from anything you've done before. I've created the Food Freedom Score, this assessment tool to give you an idea of where you should be focusing on. During this quiz, I'm going to take you through 10 simple yes or no questions that will allow you to assess the sticky point with your relationship with food and your body. Plus, I'll coach you at the end on specific steps you need to take to move forward to get your food freedom. So if you're ready to step into a new version of yourself and create a new relationship with food and your body, head over to stephaniedoze.com slash quiz and I'll see you on the other side.